Today on Movie Wallers, we do an end-of-year roundup. Movie Wallers, hi, this is Joe. Hi, it's Rashmi. And Yazdi as well. Movie Wallers is your weekly dose of film reviews, movie news, and general banter in theatres, on DVD, online streaming, or on the back of an airplane. If you love the movies, this show is for you. A happy New Year to happy you all. Happy New Year. Finally, 2020 is behind us. So long, 2020. <laughs> Don't let the door hit you on the way out. It's, we can look at it. With 2020 vision. Well, you know what? I mean, honestly, as much as it's become kind of the fun Vogue thing to do to bash 2020, um, I can't complain personally too much. Um, We're all through it safely. And here we are in 2021. And we've had not a bad year for for us as movie fans, right? I mean, we've missed out on some stuff. We haven't been able to go to our theatres, but... I don't know. It's it's. I mean, this last couple of months, Rashmi, y- you've watched how many movies? I can't even <laughs> tell you. I, I I think I've watched about sixty movies in the last three months, if not more. Yes, you're yeah, probably I, about uh, the same, right? Coming up to. Yeah, I mean, I I keep track of everything on Letterboxd. And uh, this year, I've seen about 70-some, 78, and considering we saw so few earlier in the year. um, It's a little less than previous years, but uh, uh, it's good. I mean, I like you, Joe. I mean, yeah, it's kind of uh, fashionable to poop on 2020, but I think I learned a lot. I learned that I can work from home. Um, I learned that... uh, you, you can, can balance bake. things in life. And you have and been baking like a fiend. You've been I've sending been us pictures to be envious of, of yes. deliciousness. Yes, yes. It's good. It's somehow something came on, came into me and I've just been, yeah, baking away. It's good. I was expecting you it's to be good. rather rotund when we saw you again, but I'm happy to say you are not. That's because you're not seeing my side profile. You're only seeing my <laughs> right. from the neck down. It's all tragic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say we should clarify that we are one of the side effects of 2020 is that we haven't really been able to do in-person podcasting, which does suck. Because yes, yeah, miss we you, miss but, you, yes. Um, this, this, yes, um, and I miss this, you guys so much. Yes, this, this skyping isn't isn't so bad, and I think it's at least tolerable audio quality because i think oh. i had a bit of trouble earlier in the year figuring this out but um hopefully yeah. this is i thought you were going to say the trouble with 2020 is that we've eaten too much well i've got a covid 20 that's for sure i think people have been talking about the covid 5 covid 10 i'm at covid 20 and by that i mean <laughs> per 20, month 20 pounds i easily it's yeah, like <laughs> per month i'm telling you it's been it's been bad especially over the holidays but i think yeah in many ways it's compensating for the fact that normally we kind of behave ourselves so that we can go on holiday and eat everything in sight mm-hmm. in various places. And so we haven't been able to do that. So I've been giving myself a pass to do that at home. Yeah. And I've been giving myself permission to watch some really like deliciously, you know, 
trashy, not trashy TV, but um, bingeable series in addition. So when I get sick of the movie watching, which is, you know, it gets too much sometimes to keep watching all these serious, you know, award contenders. Some of them are a little bit too serious. And so I have been indulging in um, binge watching. So my my guilty pleasure this month has been Bridgerton, which is awfully like deliciously, you know, gossip girl meets Downton Abbey. Um, and I literally ripped With through that one. a lot of skin, I hear. Oh, yeah. It's very fruity. Very fruity. You nice. tore through that. Like, I did. I mean, I turned I around and she's like, I've watched episode seven. I'm like, but what the hell? I just went to wash the car. Like, I came back and <laughs> Rashmi was... <laughs> yeah, glued. Like, you know, watching one episode after the other. But I'm taking it yeah. that meant you really enjoyed it. It was very good. Very enjoyable. But exactly yeah, what I said. It, go ahead, Yasti. It's Shonda Rhimes' first foray into Netflix. And I guess the there's no restrictions, you know, because of cable. So she can do what she wants, which is pretty good. Yeah. No, she's done yeah. a good job. And it's done that whole thing of being, you know, race blind. So um, mm -hmm. much more of this, you know, different, you know, gender, um, race, color. It lost me in the first episode where they were doing a string quartet rendition of Ariana Grande's Thank You Next. I like That's that song, but come on. <laughs> like, what a way to confuse the hell out of me. <laughs> it's like a 2019 era pop song in some kind of setting 1800s yeah so it just was yeah. like okay uh yeah and that's that's not my that's not my thing anyhow we have a long list yes we've got a lot of movies have you been binging yesterday or you've just been sticking to the movies i uh i have so much i have like paralysis by analysis i have so many screeners like you rush me that that are available to watch that i just you know every studio has sent 12 movies it seems or more and you know every night i sit down and say what should i watch and then like you i inevitably will watch an episode of jeopardy or something because it's comfort <laughs> food it's kind of engages my mind or the weakest link or something where right. i can play along right and it seems like a lot of work so I, I i watch about a movie a day which is not a lot typically around this time we are watching like four or five a day so but i just you know it's 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 the holidays it's the pandemic i don't i don't want the movies to ever become a chore so i i watch it on my own yeah i think uh, that way i can be more judicious as well i wait to hear from other people and then i can pick pick the ones right right <laughs> And hopefully our podcast will do that for our reviewers, uh, for right. our viewers as well and right. our listeners. Yeah, and yeah. I'm doing that annoying thing where I literally walk around the house with a device glued to my eyes because I'm, you know, binging. You are, you are a warrior. I am. I am. <laughs> I am. Okay, so... Should we just get started, or Joe, did yeah, you want to try and we've, no, I think give we've got, this some, we've, some explanation? We've got a, a list of movies here in front of us, and I figure let's just chat away. If we find ourselves coming up to a kind of a natural break, then you know I'll end the podcast and we'll hold some back for next time. So um, let's just kind of chat. I mean, I think you know we have so many things that are worth talking about this time of year that I you know, let's give us a little breathing room and try and get through yeah. some honourable mentions. And, and so we, like we said, we ha have watched way more than this list that we're going to share, but we figured that these are either notable because of 
what they are or they're notable because they're appearing in end of year lists that have already been published or they will become notable as Oscar season um, comes into into the view. Or we like them and we want or, to talk about them. Or we've liked them, yeah. Or we think they're notable. So let's get started. We would be amiss without doing a review of Wonder Woman 1984. And I have the intro to that. Um, and so this um, is Rewind to the 1980s as Wonder Woman's next big screen adventure finds her facing two all-new foes, Max Lord and the Cheetah. This is directed and written again by Patty Jenkins and additional writers um, have joined her. But uh, the main cast is really um, Gal Gadot, Chris Pine, Kirsten Wig, and um, uh, Pedro Pascal. Um, as the main protagonists there. And then also, you know, um, short scenes in there with Robin Wright and Connie Nielsen from the original uh, Wonder Woman, I guess, reboot. Um, so with that, um, Yazdi, did you see Wonder Woman? You didn't see Wonder not. Woman yet. I have okay. not. It's on my so list of things to watch. To and I don't you. have uh, HBO Max. So I, you know, I have to go through a convoluted process to watch it, and I haven't bothered to. Okay, it yet. was complicated well, to get access. Let's talk about that. Not necessarily our critic access, but HBO Max. I mean, this is a big time movie, you know, big screen release. This was supposed to be the big release of the summer for the DC universe. Um, mm -hmm. Interestingly, I, I heard, I think I heard it on a podcast or something recently, but there have been no Marvel movies this year. Like none that we haven't seen hmm. them, they haven't been released, and so it's kind of a, a year where we we have kind of a, a shortage, if you will, or a drought of comic book movies. So this this is the big kind of comic book release. Yes, you were going to say something. Mm, I mean, I, no complaints from me. I mean, I think <laughs> we had superhero fatigue last year, like major superhero yeah. fatigue. So I, I gladly welcome the lull. Yeah, no, and it's it. It really struck me that um, this is not just from, you know, the DC multiverse or whatever it's going to be called, but, you know, that, that we just haven't seen any, like, big superhero movies. So um, Warner's has been controversial. I think we may have touched upon it in previous podcasts, but this was one of the first movies that they pulled this trick of saying, we're going to release the movie on HBO Max at the same time that it is released in theatres. Uh, COVID being what it is, means that many areas in the United States at least don't have open theaters so for many people the only way to watch this movie is to subscribe to HBO Max and uh, it's kind of been weaponized in a way to try and get people to 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 subscribe to that service but I guess the question for us to answer here is and I'll put this to Rashmi at the end of um, the review is should one subscribe to at least a month of HBO Max just to access this movie because that's essentially the price of entry here for most people. Um, and I'll start off by saying uh, I was a big fan of the Wonder Woman from a couple of years ago. This was the Patty Jenkins also directed Gal Gadot. Mm -hmm. It was just a very earnest superhero movie. It had really good themes of, um, you know, Wonder Woman's belief in kind of humanity and... It mm -hmm. just felt like 
a superhero movie done right. And I think, you know, the, the movie was, was playful, but it was also, it had that kind of big moment at the end of it in particular um, that I think made it stand out from a lot of what we've been seeing in terms of superhero movies. So I was looking forward to, to this one because I, I feel like Patty Jenkins did such a good job of, of bringing that character to the screen and I wasn't sure if she could replicate it. So here we are, uh, Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, this feels like more of the same, but it doesn't quite earn that same big moment that the, the original Patty Jenkins Wonder Woman movie did from a few years ago. It's a lot of fun. It's very playful. It's quite funny at times. It spends far too much time getting to where it needs to go. And so there was a point in the middle of the movie where I'm like, can you just kind of get on with what this movie is about. There are multiple villains. Like, why do we need multiple villains? I don't know, but they felt the need to, to insert multiple villains. Um, you can say something. Are the, are, the, are the multiple villains related to each other or they're just random separate villains? It's, which it's makes kind of no happenstance. Sense. I mean, yes, the events are not entirely unrelated, but, you know, this movie hangs on the flimsiest of premises, which is, you know, essentially a wishing stone or wishing object where people's wishes get granted. And so it, it really doesn't have a very strong kind of setup. Um, what I will say is, despite all of that, I think it did have a really strong finale. It has that, um, again, I think what Patty Jenkins does with the Wonder Woman character here is um, it, it, it's... She she brings her out as kind of the, the 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 character that really believes in the nature of man, that believes in humanity, that believes in the good in people, and that's what really works, I think, in the original Wonder Woman movies. Like her her belief that we aren't all completely hopeless um, f ups. So I think it earned that moment reasonably well. It was fun, not as not a not close to the original uh, from a couple of years ago, but but adequate. Um. I agree with what you said, Joe. For me, this is more of a fable, Yasti. Um, it's it's a real mess, though. The, the beginning has no correlation to the middle or the end. Um, there's a lot made about this wishing stone that has this inscription, that has a revelation, but then the revelation is not followed through. There's a lot of strings that get pulled, but nothing really comes together. Um, but it has some really good things in it. And one of the really good things in it is Kristen Wiig. She is a delight to watch as um, oh. as a villain. She's a great villain. And, um, really? Because she always seems so timid. In all Correct. her roles, she's I, never a strong presence. Correct. Yeah. And she's kind of a little bit reminds me of that Poison Ivy character that we saw in the old Batman, Batman. movies, right? Yeah. This timid woman who is perfect and ripe to become a villain. And so that transformation I found very um, enjoyable to watch. Um, I think... The problem I had with the movie is that it's set in the 80s and so it uses this gimmick of being in the 80s, yet Wonder Woman herself is so normal and not 80s, um, other than mm. some of her costumes. So I wish that they had either really gone for it or not gone for it, but they used the gimmick of the 80s without really committing to how things were different in the 80s. Um, I, I think it could have been without, to be honest. I don't know why it had to be called 1984. Um, 
So I found that a little annoying. Um, the Zimmer score is very good. Um, I would say stay till the end. It's definitely worth staying right until the end. The Easter egg is totally worth it. Um, yeah, it's, it's messy and overcooked, but it's fun to watch in the moment. I mean, would I pay Joe for HBO Max? Probably not for this particular movie. Um, but given everything else that's coming out on HBO Max, um, in the, in the near future, then maybe, but not for this particular one. Yeah, I mean, I think it's worth 15 bucks for a family evening in. This is a harmless little movie, yeah. and, it, and it, is, it is entertaining in the way that comic book movie should be. Is it a standout? No. I mean, you know, it, there's, they, and it, it uses one of the same kind of gimmicks that the original one from a couple of years ago. I keep saying the original one, but you know, you know the one I mean, the original Patty Jenkins Gal Gadot combo, um, which is, you know, the fish out of water jokes, with um you know in that movie it was wonder woman because she was new to um the modern world she hadn't experienced a lot of those things in this one chris pine is brought back don't ask how because he died very uh, dramatically at the end of the original movie he died properly he did. in the first he world gone. war so I, I won't so... i won't get into terrible spoiler territory with although he's in all the trailers so the it's combination not a of a wishing stone yeah. and wonder woman's um and, and chris pine's reappearance but it, he that he is then the fish out of water in this one with kind of you know he's been brought forward in time and it, it plays out much like captain america uh, and his kind of, you know, head scratching over modern technology. Yeah, I was I was shocked that there was a lot of hom homage paid to Superman and Spider-Man in this one. There were, there were moments of like, oh, there's, so Richard, there's well, yeah, Wonder Woman um, really? acting like Superman. And look, she's acting like Spider-Man. Uh, Spider-Man, I guess I can see with, there's a lot of lasso use in yeah. this one. The lasso was not. If I, and I have to go back and like look at it again, but I don't remember the lasso being that big a deal in the original one. Here, it, it wasn't in the original, but it was in the original Wonder Woman series from the 1980s. Correct. Yeah, yeah. The no, 1980s. I know it's a big thing for the character, yeah. Yeah. but it, here it's like her, her, you know, utility tool of choice. I Correct. mean, she uses it to get around. She uses it to, you know, as a weapon. She uses it. I mean, it's like what the hell? This yeah. thing is like, you know, the, the amazing lasso. Um, so that that was kind of interesting, but no, Rashmi, to your point, there's a big homage here being paid to Richard Donner Superman. There are moments in this movie where they um, where they simply have um, the flying sequence, which is very reminiscent right. of when Clark Kent first takes Lois in in the air, and some of those kind of romantic moments. So there's clearly influence here. Uh, so it's paid. deliberate, okay. Yeah, so I, I, in, in my opinion. I'll wrap up by saying, you know, bit of a slow boil, but I think it's, you know, I, I, I wish its running time was kind of slightly less. I think the finale is, is payoff. It's spectacular in the way a movie payoff should be. It's emotional, emotional and, and, and definitely memorable. Um, I'm really sad that I will never get to see this in the IMAX. At the end of the movie, it says some scenes were mastered in IMAX, and I think this would have been a wonderful big screen experience. So... That, that's a bummer but i'm gonna give it um i'll give this one a seven out of ten it was fun um and big like an emotional like a sorry like a superhero movie should be but um not as good as the one from a couple of years ago fun fable six out of ten okay, okay. so next <clears throat> in the list of things to talk about is a promising young woman so yazdi um can you tell us all about that 
Yes, so Promising Young Woman is a new movie which is written and directed by one Emerald Fennell. And uh, Emerald Fennell is all of 25 years old, which really makes me very angry, you know, seeing that she's written and directed this movie. Um, she was actually a writer on The Crown as well as Killing Eve. Uh, she is uh, British and she uh, studied at Oxford and uh, uh, she went about writing and directing this uh, this particular story, um, which is uh, which is her directorial debut. And uh, it stars Kerry Mulligan in the lead role. Um, a promising young woman is about a young promising woman who is traumatized by the tragic event in her past that is always kind of hinted at, but we don't see until, you know, considerably into the movie. Uh, but more critically, she's a woman who seeks out vengeance against those who cross her path. Uh, and I'm going to uh, leave that uh, as it, just at that, because I know a lot of the movie's charms rely on what we find as we kind of move along uh, in terms of who's what and who's pretending to be what. Uh, the movie has a great, like I said, is written and directed by Emerald Fennell, and it has a great cast. Uh, Kerry Mulligan, uh, besides being in the lead role, uh, is also an executive producer. Um, and then additional um, uh, actors in the movie include Jennifer Coolidge, Laverne Cox, uh, Bo Burnham uh, plays her kind of love interest. And if you guys remember, Bo Bur Burnham himself is the guy who wrote and directed Seventh Grade last Correct. year. So, eighth grade. Yeah. Eighth grade. Eighth grade. Sorry, not seventh grade. Yes, eighth grade. Yeah. <laughs> I just for the record. One grade. <laughs> but uh, so this and Alison Brie is in this movie as well. Uh, Molly Shannon is there for a small role. Uh, Max Greenfield and Chris Lovell, Lovell are here as well. So uh, this movie uh, is getting a lot of buzz, especially for um, Carrie Mulligan's lead acting. And I, this movie is showing up on a lot of best of the year lists. Do you guys think that it deserves its place there? Is it one of the year's best? 110%. This is one of my favorite movies of the year. And absolutely, I will be nominating Carrie Mulligan for best actress. This is one of the most unusual smart, interesting, claustrophobic, icky, scary, horror, funny, um, crazy movies I've watched all year. I mean, 10 out of 10 for just how inventive it is and the, the way that it tackles what it's about. I mean, we've seen a lot of movies um, where someone... We've seen a lot of revenge movies, right, in, in time, but I've never seen such a clever one that tries to take on things like sexual abuse and consent and uh, Me Too and um, gender. And it's, it's just, it's amazing. I, I was just floored i mean some of the scenes were so good as we were watching them that i wanted to go back and rewind them but we were watching it continuously but i can't wait to watch this again and carrie mulligan is a chameleon finally i feel like she is doing the movie that she deserves to do that doesn't mean she looks like a slapped bottom Oh, <laughs> the Kira Knightley phenomenon. Correct. I always feel like on. she looks like, you know, a slap bottom, but she doesn't in this one. She's amazing. 
I think we should qualify that a little bit in that she does have that like slightly worried. She's she always looks worried to me. That that's that's kind of a Carrie Mulliganism. But anyway, um, so I'm not quite as gushy about the movie overall as as Rashmi is here. I mean, I think the movie is is delightfully clever. I think it starts to tie itself up in knots towards the end, and it doesn't quite achieve what it wants to do. And I could see the goal as well. So again, I'm not. Um, I'm not saying it, it doesn't get me to where it wants to. It's just it felt a little, it almost kind of telegraphs its intentions towards the end a bit too much that left me without the, you know, the the jaw drop moments that I think the movie was looking to deliver. But um, I mean, it's a movie watching for performances alone. And the performance here of, of Carrie Mulligan is, is an absolute delight. Um, she can... She can flip back and forth um, between roles within the movie, and it's it's just it's so much fun. It had me guessing at least for the first half of, of what its true nature was, yes. and so that that was a lot of fun and games too. So I think a little too clever for its own good. I feel like um, again one too many ingredients in the soup here, but but a, a, a delightfully wicked and fun movie with you know a, a great message behind it. Yasti. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I have a lot to say. Uh, I will start off by saying that I highly, highly, highly recommend this movie. I think everybody should see it. It's a small movie made by, you know, somebody who is in their mid-20s. And it's got these great actors playing against Tyler. And there's so many people doing small, little, like literally like one-minute uh, cameos. And they're all perfect in it. Um, and like you, Joe, I completely understand where the movie is uh, headed to, what its goal is. Um, and so I have a lot of nits to pick with it. Like like you, I, I found the movie a little too strident, a little too deep fried. And I also found its tone a little jarring because it can't decide whether it wants to be like a cheesy revenge flick B-movie or more of a, you know, finger wagging, you know, bad rape culture, bad patriarchy kind of thing. So it's so candy colored and the background music is brilliant because they're using all these popular tunes for very, very ironic effect through the whole movie. And I love the music in this. So I, I had a real kind of schizophrenic thing. Like, is this movie just trying to indulge in like this, Cinemax in the night revenge flick or you know is it trying to be more I think it wants to be both and there's nothing wrong with that um but maybe it sounds like like I have too many complaints about it I do not I mean I think this is a fun ride and you know most movies are not rides but this one is a total ride you get on this ride you never really know who's driving um I also had you know, a, a big problem with the ending, which I just think is not feasible. It's it's a very, very clever twist of the screw, a very clever twist of the screw. But I don't think physics and laws of nature would allow for that uh, screw to be twisted. But it delivers a great, great ending. So, yeah, people need to watch this because I want, you know, I want these kinds of movies to get made. I want people to watch it. I want a movie like this to be profitable and rewarded. So, more people make more movies like this. I mean, within being very mainstream, it's so giddy about everything it does that just from this from the filmmaking perspective, it's just aces. Yeah, I liked how brave it was. So I think that unless you're going to make a film like 
Um, and, and it's been on a loop at the moment, Fatal Attraction. So I've been watching that because that to me is a horrific movie and a horror um, or something like The Accused. I like how it dealt with the subject matter. And I wonder, Yazdi, to your point about it's very candy colored and it's kind of trying to be over smart. In a sense, what it's doing for me is it's taking um, very difficult subject matter about consent and mm -hmm. rape and um, taking advantage and gender roles. And it's kind of turning it on it, turning it on its head to make it almost a little bit comical and vampy, um, in order mm -hmm. for us to embrace the material and receive it in a slightly different way. And so I don't know, maybe even if it's a male female thing, but for me, it was such a great, again, fable is the word I use kind of like men beware, right? You never know who you're going to get at the other end in a sense. Um, so I think that it was very brave in the way that it treats this material because it's not being comical about any of those things, right? It's being very serious about those things. But it's also about, you know, the role that we all play, the responsibility we all play as a society, um, when no means no, um, drinking on colleges, uh, the role that, you know, colleges take you know there's been been so much in the news about a lot of this stuff and I think that in an hour and a half in two hours however long the running time is it does a good job I, I agree with you it gets a little bit messy at the end but I loved it and I love that it went there like I love that it was brave enough to do something so different and unexpected no, no, I, I no. To your point, I give it a lot of credit for jumping just head on into this very difficult topic, which, let's face it, is rape culture. You know, anywhere in the world, <clears throat> and and just jump. And you know, especially in this Me Too era, when there is so much nuance, a nuance to it, and people are fighting against it one way or the other, it just jumps into it. And I and I like that. But I, on the other hand, I, you know, I'm. Maybe everybody says this, but I really do think that I'm as feminist as it comes. I'm all for this. But even then, there is not at the end of the movie, there is not one single likable, decent male in this whole movie. Not a one. And I'm like, I see what you're trying to do, but maybe you've tipped over just a little too much. But again, maybe that just works towards the messaging of the movie, which is all dudes are douche, you know, douchebags. So so there's that but you know again for how small the movie is and how giddy it is and everything it does um and and it has a lot of balls in the air i mean even with tones there's a very serious discussion that she that the carrie mulligan character has with molly shannon in the movie which is totally almost from another movie but it somehow also fits in with the overall narrative of yeah. the movie so i i don't get me wrong i'm just i'm just saying Everybody watched this, but these are the two few things that bothered yeah, me. Yeah, agree. Joe, it seems like you wanted to say something. All I was going to say is I think it suffers from being a first-time writer-director in that I think what's happening, what we're seeing here is so many elements thrown in because the talent, you know, when you make your first movie, I mean, I'm not sure that this is how it actually plays out, but... You know, there, there's, there may be a sense of if, if I don't throw everything at this, people won't be able to see what I'm capable of doing. And all these elements, I think, work brilliantly well. It's just we don't need all of these elements. And so I think when you have them, it's that, you know, classic, almost 
cliche statement of less is more, and I think less would have been more with this movie. But terrific fun, terrific fun, and yeah. and, and an easy recommendation for. So uh, this isn't a very very stingy eight out of ten. I think the movie deserves more than that but again i think it, it trips over itself in its ambition and um you know if nothing else one of my favorite performances of uh you know the last couple of years for sure carrie mulligan is is so much fun and it's it's lovely to see her doing uh, this range of characters because you know I, I often feel that you know, she she's the you roll you bring in Carrie Mulligan when you need a tragic character. You know, she's she's very good at uh, evoking those kind of emotions. But here, she she's she's so many things. Yasti. Yeah, I would I would give it uh, you know an eight out of ten. I would actually give it eight and a half out of ten, which I'm going to back down to uh, to eight. But again, I'm begging everybody to really seek this movie out because it's. There's nothing quite like it. Uh, it's a smaller movie. It's it's so impassioned. It's a labor of love. Uh, it kind of reminded me about this uh, of this movie called Hard Candy, which came out I think oh gosh about 15 years ago. It it had Patrick Wilson and Ellen Page at that time about this guy who kind of is trying to take advantage of this underage girl, and then the tables keeps keep getting flipped between the two of them. Um, I also think uh, there were many times in this movie where I thought that whoever has written this, uh, the entire script is a response, I think, to the Brett Kavanaugh trial, which happened earlier in this year. Uh, it's somebody who is seeing what, what transpired during that time, and, and that person wrote the script. Because if a woman stands up and says, and not to make this political, but if a woman stands up and says, I was wronged, who is going to listen to you? And, you know, how much burden of weight are you going to put put on that person so it asks all these wonderful wonderful questions and by that measure alone um it's a great success and then unlike the two of you guys i have not and i don't think i ever will see a bad carrie mulligan performance every movie that she's in even in the not so good ones she nails it for me oh, at least totally. i mean i am totally yeah. yesterday when i meant she but she always looks like she's had her bottom she slapped. looks worried yeah yes yeah she does yes. look, she always looks worried Yes. Yeah. So yes. I, I'm. If this if this is the movie, you know, she got nominated for her very first movie, which was a Bad Education, which was fantastic. Uh, no, a Education, an Education, just a Education, and she was brilliant in it, or the Education. Um, and I'm. If this brings her the second Oscar nomination, I'm so behind it because the world needs to see and rec recognize the wonder of Carrie Mulligan. So, you know, if there's one movie that people should absolutely write down on their notes while they're listening to the podcast it is promising young woman i believe it's like 3.99 on amazon it's well worth your time yes such 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 promise for this movie easily nine out of ten from me and a 10 out of 10 for for carrie mulligan definitely going on my list okay let's move along uh the next movie we thought we should talk about here is nomadland so rashmi yes so this is um Written and directed by Chloe Zhao, um, who we first saw for the first time really hit the the scene last year with um, I always forget the, the name. rider the rider the rider yes um, 
And she actually won the Spirit Award uh, for Best Newcomer for, for that movie. So anyway, here we are. Um, it's 2020, and after losing everything in the Great Recession, a woman embarks on a journey through the American West living as a van-dwelling modern-day nomad. And this stars the amazing Frances McDormand, uh, fresh off her Oscar performance, um, for three billboards uh this has got uh and a host of other people but she's the big name francis mcdormand um so again yeah written and directed by chloe zhao and i believe this kind of nomadic life is a a way of life that people are pursuing at the moment um so joe why don't you start us off with what did you think of nomadland sure uh so chloe zhao is kind of an interesting character we we um Rashmi and I, well, you know, Rashmi, you're a member of Film Independent, and I mean, please, people, seek out Film Independent. Please join. Like, what the hell? This organization for like a hundred bucks a year sends you movies. You get to vote in the Spirit Awards. You get access to director talks, Q and As, all this stuff year round. So, and and this year it's been kind of cool because we've it's had. It's been amazing. Um, so yeah, sorry, there's a bit of yeah. a segue here, but we've had access to so much cool stuff like that any film independent member you don't have to be a critic or anything like that anyone that just ponies up the hundred bucks or so a year gets access to like a thousand movies you get screeners sent to you links galore it's just bargain anyway um so we attended an audience q a with her when she was being nominated for the rider and you know I, i remember her talking about her process and 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 how you know how she creates these movies and thinking you know hopscotch that's that's nonsense you're talking like you know it it felt like you pointed the camera and when you watch the rider there's something about that movie that is very almost accidental it feels like you know found footage Mm -hmm. it feels very authentic but it couldn't and the movie stayed with me for months after watching it i still find myself kind of feeling emotional thinking you know um about that movie and, and its message but Nonetheless, it felt very much like an accident that she had created something through some clever editing of some real situations. And so I, I, I almost didn't want to give her credit for how clever and affecting that movie was. She now has that full credit from me. Nomadland shows me that this is absolutely no accident. She's done it absolutely again. This movie is... It it's so uh, meditative in its kind of tone. It says so much by with without saying. I mean, I, I it, it's hard for me to understand exactly how the movie was crafted because I think there are a lot of real situations, real people that are rolled into the script. I don't know that the script is necessarily comprised of every word written. You know, being. Um, part of what she does but she merges these images these moments these people with an actress as accomplished as Frances McDormand she enters us into a world that is almost unbelievable that you know this type of thing is 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 happening she she tells a story about a ca- I mean there, there are so many things about this movie that are, are absolutely um you know, captivating. Um, they they stay with you. I mean, just a wonderful piece of film here. And I, I I find it really hard to articulate quite why I liked it so much. But you know, maybe the two of you can do a better job. But 
um, it took me to a place that I haven't left since seeing the movie. And for that, I applaud. Yes, D. Yeah, it's uh, hard to say very little about this movie. Um, like you, Joe, I, you know, I, like like you, I was wondering if The Rider is such a specific movie. It, it's got, you know, very few, you know, technical actors and most of it seems to have been shot on location. So it seemed to me a movie which was a true hybrid of a documentary and a scripted movie because it, it seems like she has just the bare bones of a script and then she goes out into the real world and has her actors interact with the real world and captures it on camera and somehow makes a cohesive movie out of it. And like you, I now realize after seeing Nomadland, which follows exactly the same track, that Chloe Zhao is onto something. Nobody else has been able to do this. Uh, Nomadland is based on a book, but she clearly, you know, Chloe Zhao, by the way, got picked by Marvel to direct their big tentpole movie movie. Uh, uh, called The Eternals with Angelina Jolie and all these people. And while wow. she was preparing to make this big Marvel movie, she decided to make this little movie on the side, and that turned out to be Nomadland. And so she is clearly with, um, you know, uh, uh, Frances McDormand as her partner. She has gone out into the real world, interacted with real people, and made a movie out of it, which makes perfect sense. And I, I really appreciate... Uh, at, I mean, I think there will be some people who will watch it and if they, I hate to be judgmental, but if they don't have the empathy, they will just come out of it saying, what the hell was this? You know, it's just these random people talking and, you know, I, it was boring or it didn't have a structure, or it didn't have a plot. But I think if you have the slightest bit of empathy, this movie is speaking to all the lost souls. You know, it's, 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 it's about people about whom films are never made. And, you know, in 2017, there was these trifecta of three movies which came out. One of them was The Rider. The other one was uh, Leave No Trace. And then the third one was Lean on Pete. And they were all about, you know, the people at the bottommost layer of the country's financial and social status, people that we would rather not talk about or think about, people who are too poor, people who have, you know, have lost everything. And this movie kind of... Uh, takes is almost belongs to that same same genre it's about people who have been so beaten up financially that they have to sell their home and live the rest of their lives as nomads and it treats all of them with so much respect uh, there is no judgment whatsoever and i loved all of those characters i, I may differ with them 100 percent politically but you know i just was amazed at their resilience and how they live and how they are you know through, through horrible medical conditions, through horrible financial setbacks, they're somehow choosing to live their life with dignity in spite of having literally nothing. So I, I am in awe of this film. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, I um, had been hearing a lot about Nomadland and I didn't watch The Rider because I didn't, I, I kind of felt like Chloe Zhao, Joe, when we met her or got to do that audience with her, just seemed very arrogant and just up herself a little bit and so I purposely didn't want to watch the rider and so when when she does Nomadland I'm like oh you know and everyone's talking about it and it's getting a lot of good press from the second it kind of seemed to appear and of course Frances McDormand who I love and so I could not watch this and so when I watched it yeah I it, it 
I felt completely immersed in a world that I would have no reason to be in. And it felt like one of those experiences you have at Epcot Center. You know how Disney create those amazing mm. experiences mm -hmm. where they take you into a world and um, it, it truly felt very immersive. And so um, thank you for mentioning Film Independent. They actually did a wonderful Q&A with Chloe Zhao and the team. And Joe, to your Yazdi and Joe to the questions you raised about how does she do it. So what she did is um, this, they actually show in the movie this yearly gathering where these nomads get together and that happens only once a year and happens in Arizona. It apparently was due to happen the weekend after she won the Spirit Award in LA. And so she literally got in a car and they drove to Arizona and they spent time speaking to all of these people. So they gathered all of the stories and she actually wrote a script so the entire thing is scripted which is even more enviable that none of this although it feels so real and organic she has actually scripted the story based on the stories that these real people are telling her including dialogue including dialogue um, otherwise she said the stories would be so long so she's cut them down and taken the pieces that add to the story moving forward so that's our process and then the other thing that really surprised me about this was she had the option to make this on a sound stage with the car and they actually opted to get the car itself the van that Francis McDormand drives they actually got the van and kitted it all out um, so it's actually a real van with Francis McDormand really driving the van um, so that just shows you her commitment I think to storytelling in a way um, I just think this is a very immersive movie and thanks for reminding me about Leave No Trace because that's the movie it really reminded me of Yazdi both in terms of tone and feel and type of person that she's trying to highlight and I think this is a really it's really important in 2021 when this country is so divided for us to realize all the different types of people that live in this big, vast continent. Um, so I think it's important from that. I, I love this movie. And again, Frances McDormand just does it so effortlessly. And even scenes where she's just washing her laundry just end up becoming just so riveting to watch. I couldn't believe I was mesmerized by watching Frances McDormand cleaning a floor or doing her laundry or, you know, cleaning her van. It was ridiculous how good it is. You know, one of my favorite things about the movie, and I don't know how they got Amazon to buy off on this because Amazon doesn't come off as looking very good at all. And I would imagine that the the scenes that they had of of, of how... You know, big corporations essentially use uh, seasonal seasonal labor, yeah. uh, you know, to, to manage peaks and troughs. And I, I was actually going to the uh, the notion that they that they're using these humans as 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 robots, as tools, as and as soon as we can automate this process, you know, you know, those people are out of jobs. So. Um, and she did it without being critical of Amazon. I mean, I think the, the <laughs> thing that yeah. was so beautiful about that was maybe I'm the one that's being critical of Amazon in the sense of th this movie doesn't deliberately go out of its way to say that any of these types of things are bad. It just made me reflect on the type of society and the type of, of um, world that we have right now that these, these people, uh, you know, 
in certain situations are so at the behest of corporations and and you know so it it, it again it's it's how the movie essentially presents that material and then lets you reflect on it and i think you know that very um the very light touch that's required to do that to get its point across to the point that you almost feel like it's your own point you know and it's it's just delightful i mean yeah what i liked about the movie is that the Frances McDormand, and again, you know, it's the wonder of Frances McDormand, and I would not begrudge her, you know, getting a third Oscar and tying in with Meryl Streep um, in terms of having living actors having three Oscars. But, um, you know, her character is very, um, it's very irritable. She's a very proud woman. She's a very self-reliant woman. Uh, she does not necessarily need help from anyone. Um and when 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 you when you are generating from the ground up a character this crotchety and this you know uh, prickly, um, it's it's hard to do it without making that character seem somehow negative. But you know we I mean for me at least from the halfway point in the movie I was in her skin. I wanted her to kind of somehow survive even at the back of my mind i know this is an actor this is a wealthy actor who has won oscars and this i because she's interacting with real people who are dealing with these real problems i kind of bought into that and i i think the movie um has a lovely ending and i i I don't want to give everything away where you know it's 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 giving some kind of grace almost to this existence of people living in vans and that you know, once you've tasted the freedom of getting by with so little, you probably don't want a lot, even if it comes to you then. And, you know, there is some some kind of elemental um, comfort with getting by with so little. So, you know, I think my, my first reaction is to treat somebody with sympathy. Oh, look, this person's lost everything and they're living a nomadic existence. But none of those people want my sympathy. What they want for us as viewers is just acknowledgement that this is the state of, you know, the, the universe in the United States. And, and to, to Amazon's point, I like you, I was concerned because it shows Amazon. It shows her working in Amazon. But the tone of the movie just says that this is a group of people who are looking for any job that's available. And Amazon just happens to be one of the people who provides it seasonally. And at other times, you know, there is a a tourist season somewhere else where restaurants need extra servers and then they go there and other places. So they're just, they're just part of the system. So yeah, it it uh, ends up almost being a win-win Yazdi. I mean, to me again, I think that's a really important point you make, which is these aren't people looking for sympathy. And I think, I, I wonder if this movie had come, at a different point in time, whether it would have been effective. But for some reason, the fact that it's come come in 2020 during quarantine when, you know, so many people are affected by by the, fi- the finance um, disaster, um, it's, easy to sh- it's easy to be sympathetic. And yet, you know, these are people who are choosing a certain lifestyle and all the freedoms that go with it. And even when given the chance to anchor they choose not to. So it's it's just a really well-balanced movie, I think. Yeah. I, I mean, I can sum and this I'm, up. I'm, oh, go ahead, Yasdi. 
No, I was just going to say I'm looking at the IMDb list a cast of characters and every person here, you know, their real name is 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 their Correct. stage is is the movie name because they're they're all dealing with real life people. So it it is mostly documentary, and I think the only two main actors in the movie are yeah, you know, Francis McDormand and David Strathairn, who plays kind of this romantic love interest, maybe not. So it, it just it just seems altogether miraculous that something like this has been conceived by almost stealth placing two actors in real world situations and having them play against them. Go on. Yeah, no, and, and I mean, it's interesting when you were saying the thing about, you know, this crotchety woman, she doesn't feel that different from Frances McDormand real life. So I wonder how much of yeah. that truly <laughs> is just, you know, enhancing what's really Frances McDormand or giving her lines that, you know, Truly, she has to act, but she's an incredible actress. So, um, okay, for me, this is easily, easily a nine out of ten. I, I love this movie. Um, and just another thing, this is, this is, you know, it's interesting when we get screeners. Apparently, for Nomadland, they made a series of five different covers, so we each got different covers. Yeah, that's so Chloe Zhao. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Joe. Yeah, I mean, again kind of like the rider this movie is going to haunt me um for a very long time and i hesitate in giving it kind of a global recommendation i mean i think you you do have to kind of approach it with um a certain level of patience you know it's not it's not the kind of movie that you know will will grab you with its plot and take you on its ride i mean you know you you have you kind of have to let it you have to absorb yourself into it and and Again, I applaud it for how it does what it does because I, I don't understand um, in many ways. In many ways, I, I responded to it emotionally in very much the same way that I responded to Roma a few years ago. Mm. Um, don't know quite what it was, um, how, how deeply it affected me, but it did. So, yeah, 9 out of 10 from me as well. Yes, D. Yeah, out. another nine out of ten for me, and I I don't give these nines out easily. I just like you, this movie has not left me. It refuses to leave me since I watched it, and you know different scenes in the movie, and I hesitate to even call them scenes because again, it's you know more documentary than anything else. Uh, I just cannot shake off, and I you know I kind of uh, remind myself as I literally live in my gilded tower and you know, enjoy all the benefits of the real world that, you know, so many of my uh, co-citizens, you know, their life is so different from my own. And, and it, the movie treats every one of them with nothing less than, you know, exceptional uh, comprehension and affection and, and dignity. And that alone is, you know, uh, amazing yeah and I, I yeah I, I would say don't expect you know like a promising young woman don't expect like a very tightly wound plot or anything I think the movie is more of a feeling a sense of existence I mean I would almost approach this movie like like you would approach a very very good documentary um and uh, I am ready for Chloe Zhao to make more of such movies you know where she's just kind of tapping into things that that I don't know about I did not even know about the existence of this whole you know, van living within the United States of people who are just living as nomads. I did not know that Amazon, you know, frequently hires extra workers during peak times and so forth. So it was educational as much as anything else. Nine out of 10. This is uh, something that cinema is so seldom about. It's brilliant. 
We're coming up to an hour into the podcast, so if you're still with us, thank you. We're going to talk about one more movie and then maybe wrap this one up and come back again soon. So final movie of the podcast will be the movie Minari. And uh, Yazdi, do you have a quick intro for that? I do have a quick intro for that. So uh, Lee Isaac Chang is a writer who's been writing very good movie, uh, very good novels for a long time. And a little while ago, he published a memoir about, you know, him growing up uh, as a, as a uh, first generation uh, Asian child in, in uh, rural Arkansas. Uh, and this movie is uh, based on his own life of growing up uh, in Arkansas. And uh, he, you know, amazingly and, and, you know, all props to the studio for doing that, they actually handed over the reins for the entire movie to this writer. So Lee Isaac Chung has written and directed this movie, which is called Minari. And Minari stands for a, a very specific kind of herb, which, uh, you know, which grows in Korea uh, and is not very easily found in, in the United States in that you know, the Koreans have a lot of affinity for it. It, 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 it plays into the story of this movie. And uh, essentially, the, the one sentence uh, summary of the movie on IMDb is that a Korean family moves to Arkansas to start a farm in the 1980s. And it's the story of this immigrant family trying to, you know, lay their roots in agricultural, rural Arkansas. The movie stars uh, Stephen Yuen, who we know from, you know, many, many uh, shows and movies. Uh, uh, he's also an executive producer on the movie. Um, his wife is played by the actress Yeri Han. His mother-in-law is played by the actress Yoon Joo Young. Um, and then uh, the little boy in the movie is played by Alan S. Kim. So this is, uh, you know, it's funny, last year, um, you know, a Korean movie swept all the Oscars, uh, best movie, best foreign film, you know, Parasite, we're talking about in years, another movie. I should clarify, it's been called a Korean movie, but it's very much an American movie uh, written and directed by an American writer. It's just based on an Asian experience in America. So a lot of the dialogue is in Korean, but with subtitles. So what did you guys think about this very, very American, very immigrant story of Minari? Exactly what you said, Yazdi. This is just a beautiful unfolding of being different, trying to fit in, hanging on to what's important, um, trying to hold on to values from your parents' uh, homeland and wanting to be American or wherever you immigrate to. Um, it's beautiful. It's it's like watching every immigrant story, I think, first generation. Um, it's beautifully acted. It's bitey and it's um, caustic at times because of the beautiful performance by uh, Yoo Jung Yoon, who I believe is a very infamous actress in Korea and has a very you know, like a Sophia Loren um, mm -hmm. in, in her own country. And she's amazing in this. This is a great movie. This is just, it's beautiful. It's, I, I don't think it's the same thing as Parasite, so don't expect that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, it's its own thing and it's beautiful. It's coming of age. It's all of those things. Beautiful. Yeah. So interestingly, I, I mean, I agree with everything you've said here, but this movie didn't have an impact on me. I think it um, it had 
um, it was very agreeable. It feels very much like a piece of Korean cinema. I mean, I, the fact that it comes from uh, a, 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 an American Korean, you know, it, it feels very much like a movie that you would see um, as a foreign language entry to a film festival. Um, but, you know, again, I mean, I think the the thing that I struggled with here was um, it, it's, I, I guess I didn't really understand what it was doing other than putting me in a place and time. And it felt, it felt very much like reliving somebody's memories, which clearly it is, if, it, if it's based on an autobiographical. But it's so intensely personal that I think I personally struggled to, to kind of relate to, to a lot of what it was saying. So, uh, you know, nice uh, movie, but not one that, that resonated with me, unfortunately. Wow. Yes, Dee. Yeah, I'm just going to come out and say this is the best film I've seen this year so far. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be surprised if anything else uh, improves upon this for me. I, it's it's voodoo, right? It's it's magic. What movie just gets to you and what doesn't? It just this thing got its claws into me and uh, didn't let me go. And I, like you said, Rashmi, it's and like you said, Joe, it's a very specific situation about a very specific family in a very specific time in a very specific place. I did not, none of those things happened to me, but I could recognize my own life again yeah. and again and again and what was happening on screen. There is a wonderful scene which comes about, I don't know, maybe a third into the movie where, you know, this 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 family is just trying to get settled into this little farmhouse in Arkansas and um, husband, wife and two kids. And then the wife's mom comes from Korea and she, when she comes from Korea, she's brought a bag full of all these Korean treats and she's opened the bag and she's handing out all these things. And then she gives her, you know, a, a plastic bag full of anchovies and uh, the, the daughter just starts crying. And, you know, she says, you're crying again because of anchovies. And it's you burst out laughing that the mother is saying you're crying because of anchovies. And I burst out laughing. But a part of me cried inside because that is my experience when my family brought things for me from India when I was here. And, and it was just as emotional for me to think that somebody made the effort to pack large amounts of something that only means something to me and nobody else. And so the minute that scene played out, I kind of settled back in and I knew I was in very good hands and I stopped trying to analyze the movie or understand it. I just surrendered to it. And it's an A24 movie um, and it just, you know, I think it, 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 it moves along very nicely. And I love the fact that it presents these people as they are without judgment. You know, on the face of it, you might say this, this grandmother is, she's a terrible grandmother. And, you know, the little boy is like, I don't want this grandmother. I want an American grandmother Correct. who makes spies and who does this. And, you know, he gets this other grandmother who is, bizarre and she smells curses and all of those things smells and, strange i should say yeah and she's very strange and like i think like my own life it's only very late when you get into your life that you realize that the grandmother you were given is way better than the grandmother you would have wanted when you were growing up because that's what makes her perfect so i connected with this movie at a very very uh personal emotional level and uh I almost res I almost resented the movie from getting a little too dramatic at the end. Uh, I I I would have liked for it to continue in the very subtle kind of um, 
light-handed touch all along, but uh, brilliant movie. I love everything about it. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Yazdi. Um, I think it captures the immigrant experience so well, and it's the things, it th that scene that you described is just so perfectly reminiscent of little pieces of home. It's the things that you forget that make home home, and you live millions, millions, you live, you know, thousands of miles away, and yet it's the taste of something or the smell of something that can take you right back to where you used to be that was so familiar, and yet you've moved so far away from that. And that's, I think, what it epitomizes to me is this feeling of you move so far away, but it's what you leave behind in response to what you might gain. And it, and right. it tells that dynamic so well. Um, everything is strange and you're trying to make things familiar. And yet for many of us that have immigrant families or that immigrant experience, I always describe it as kind of like when the doors close um, and you are in your home with your family, it's a bit like being in a Alice in Wonderland, right? You fall down, you fall down the <laughs> yeah. tunnel and, and the whole world is, is, you know, the Mad Hatter's Tea Party. Certainly that's how it was for me growing up. And so I feel when I watch these types of movies, they really describe that experience of being, being so needy to fit in, yet trying to when you're young, not understanding how different you are and you're right. It's only when you get older that you embrace that difference and enjoy it for what it is. So again, for me, I, I had moments of hilarity and laughter because again, I think this idea of who your family is and what it means to be a grandparent. I mean, she's teaching them lessons. She's imparting lessons upon them by gambling with them, which is so hilarious yeah. to me. But but I know people like that too, right? The way they they impart their knowledge on you is just so different to how our Western culture would, would see that. And so it was beautiful just to see a lens into that, see that window into into someone else's life. And it's kept, I have to say production is amazing for this one. The production yeah. is so yeah, good. I really yeah, production design. So apparently, so I did do another Q&A with this crew as well. And they oh. actually all, they, they got this trailer again. They, they put this trailer in the middle of nowhere. And they actually lived as a family for a couple of weeks. So they truly bonded as a group. Um, and they found, you know, that, that clearly shows the chemistry is amazing. Yeah, I, I love this movie. Yeah, yeah I, I, I love this movie so much. And I, I... Uh, you know, again, it, it's it's you know, A twenty four is distributing this movie, Plan B, They're which so is uh, Brad Pitt's are so company. Smart, yeah, yeah, A twenty four, and you know, Plan B, which is Brad Pitt's uh, production yeah. company, has financed a lot of the movie. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I'm just so thankful that, you know, some somehow my own life is reflected in, in a piece of art that I'm seeing on the screen. And, uh, and yet it's nothing that to do with your growing up, right? And, and Yeah, I didn't but, grow up in Arkansas. I'm not of Korean descent, you know, I'm not in the 60s, none of those things. And um, I should also say that last year, you know, The Farewell was one, one movie that we yes. all championed so, yes. so heavily. And, you know, Shu Zhen Zhao, who played the grandmother in that movie, she was tragically criminally left out of her best supporting actor nomination 
And I hope that this year they don't make the same mistake yeah, with uh, the, the the Korean actor Yoo yeah. Jun, sorry Yoon Yoo Jung, who plays the grandmother in this movie. She's yeah. she's Yoo, uh, remarkable. Yoo Jung Yoon, yeah. Yeah, um, so yeah I don't want to give I don't want to give something away, but but her physicality even in some of the later parts of the movie is just so subtle but beautifully played for something that happens to her. Very well done. I was just going to make the point that I, I'm I'm finding it hard to dissect why I responded to something like Nomadland and didn't respond to this. And I think mm. this ultimately to me, I think you know, and I'm clearly you know unique in this. There's a hundred percent. Um, score on Rotten Tomatoes which means basically of 74 critics 74 thought the movie was fabulous but um, it, it feel, it just felt overly personal to, personal to me I mean I think um, you know I wanted more of a sense of what was happening in the world um, I wanted perhaps more of um, you know just, just more of a sense of what the movie was trying to do other than kind of tell me about it. it almost felt like reviewing their home videos and maybe that's the genius in the movies but I, I almost felt like you know watching someone old someone's old VHS tapes about how it was when it was um is is what I was left with so yes I mean for that it's startlingly realistic just not not something um that I personally that you bonded connected with, so. with interesting um, yeah just I uh, just dissecting that thought um Joe always the outlier <laughs> sure. Yeah. No. And clearly, the heathen here, because um, everyone else in on the planet seems to love this movie. So, I got a problem. Clearly. Yeah. Clearly. <laughs> so I, I guess you know. More I'll, therapy. I'll kind of end, More therapy for Joe. I'll, I'll give you my score, which is you know it. I mean, I, I I make it sound like I hated the movie. I I totally didn't. It had me you know involved with it from start to finish. So uh, definitely, uh, you know, a, a, a clearly a, a piece of um, film worth worth your time but for me it was just a seven out of ten i barely remembered watching it right so that was kind of one of the things as we were going into this podcast i was like what the hell was minari you know so for me nine out of ten easily easy nine out of ten yeah uh i laughed and i cried and both very genuinely in this movie and i i do one or the other i don't usually do do both and I haven't cried, I think, on in any movie this year. But and, and that should not be a measure by any means. But it just it just really got to me emotionally. And you know, it it has so many stories of unfinished dreams about growing up, about fitting in, about what you want versus what you get, about you know how the world treats you if you're different. It just you know taps on so many different things so effortlessly. Um, it it yeah to me it reflected my universe by being so specific about something else a nine and a half out of ten which i'm going to back down to a nine like i said it uh, up front i doubt i'll see a better movie this year so give it a ten yasdi there no, are no, many no, more would, films to watch no, now no Come on, no but it. people sh people should ten, ten, <laughs> people ten, should ten, seek ten, out ten. minari m-i-n-a-r-i <laughs> yasdi only operates i've, I've conclude that you operate on a nine point scale yes correct. that's why you need all the yes. halves because you've got yes. one less correct range than the rest of us yes like giving out the occasional 10 might give you that that extra granularity that you're looking for without using the halves which we don't allow but but i'm like the olympic judge if i give something a 10 that means nothing else can ever better that no that's, that's not true impossible. yeah something else can't get a 10 and a half <laughs> okay <laughs> 
on that note, let's wrap up this podcast. We've it's been rambling away. Ten pot- podcast. Indeed, and we'll be back very shortly with some more end of year thoughts and discussion. So, thank you for listening. Too many movies, too little time. A goodbye from me and me, and me as well. <laughs>